welcome to the My Curious Colleague podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So if you like CPGs, like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take a listen. Welcome, my curious colleagues. In this episode, my guest is my colleague, Chris Drury, Director of Customer Care at Blanc Fine Foods. Chris and I share an interest, and to quote Chris, leveraging data to build continuous improvement in product design. And we'll be specifically chatting about how this has evolved via a scorecard that Chris developed. And I think what the fun part of this is that even if you're one of my colleagues, maybe with um, a smaller group of analysts, or maybe you're just the analyst, and perhaps you don't even have any, you know, high fangled reporting tools, this can be done in Excel. So listen up, everybody. Let me first introduce Chris a little bit further. He joined Blunt Fine Foods back in 2013 and has been relentless in growing and elevating consumer customer care and the consumer's voice into the company. Chris joined Blunt Fine Foods in 2013 and has been relentless in growing and elevating customer care and the consumer's voice into the company. He has 20 years experience in a variety of roles in marketing, business process, improvement, and customer service. He's also very active in our industry group, which is called SOCAP, which stands for the Society of Consumer Affairs Professionals. He is currently a member of the board of directors at the national level. I believe this is his second year and was active at the chapter level on that board leadership. He's a graduate of Providence College. And I only mention that because a few people have noticed that, yes, Chris is the third guest from the Big East that I've had on. And it's really just purely coincidental. With that, let's get into it. Hi, Chris. So happy you're here on the podcast today. Hi, Denise. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You know, what's, well, there's a lot of things that's interesting about you, but what's interesting to me, um, the most probably is that your model for care is, you know, a bit different from the ones I've been familiar with in my, um, in my experience in CPG. And it's one like a couple of my colleagues support as well. Um, so you support both the CPG or I'll call that the retail side plus the food service side of Blunt. So kind of let's start there. Level set everybody. Um, on Blonde Fine Food Products, where they can be found, and uh, just kind of who they are. Please. Sure. So I, I guess the easiest starting point is that Blonde Fine Foods manufactures about 80% of the refrigerated soup in America. It's not a household name. It's a name that's behind most other brands. Um, some of those brands, for instance, are all the Panera soups that you can buy outside of the cafes. Uh, legal seafoods here in the Northeast and along the East Coast is very popular. And then very, very um, large numbers in the private 
label sector. So most grocery chains, the private label soups that you'd find um, would be produced by Blount. We can find the products uh, in Target, Walmart, Costco, Sam's Club, EJ's, and then grocery stores. Now the food service side, um, we work with a lot of national national chains as well as regional, right down to the mom and pops that are sourcing through folks like Cisco and Reinhardt and Gordon uh, as distribution. So we really do have two distinct pieces to our business. Okay. Um, and where do you spend most of your time on the food service care or the retail care? Mostly the retail, because for instance, Panera is the largest brand uh, in terms of distribution for us. And the 800 number that is on every single container comes into my team. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this. I'll call it the traffic light scorecard. Is that what you call it? What do you call this thing? A stop, stoplight. A stoplight. A stoplight report. Yep. Stoplight scorecard of yours. Um, and let's kind of start at the beginning. What, at a high level, what was the, the initial intent of the scorecard? And then in what situations are you using it? Is it, you know, just everyday monitoring of products on a, uh, on a timely, you know, on a monthly basis, quarterly, or do, can you also use it to assess new products or a reformulated product that's out there? So the, uh, the intent and situations. Sure. So it initially started focused primarily on just one brand. Um, and the reason for it was that although, you know, your complaints, when something big happens, the normal reaction is to look at root cause analysis, identify what created the issue to begin with and put in place corrective action. So that's just normal quality type of procedures that many of us in CPG would do should we have something that just bubbles up as a major problem in the product. But what's more subtle and what really drove this is we wanted to be able to take all the consumer contact points that we have through the contact center and look at those things that don't just jump out at you as a, a major problem. So for instance, for us, chicken noodle soup, um, was one of the ones that glared at us because we were seeing a lot of feedback points around the distribution of the solids in that product. The solids being the pasta noodle, the carrots, the celery, the chicken. We would have cups of soup that were mostly broth, and then you wind up on the other end of the spectrum with a lot of cups of soup that had a ton of stuff in it and less broth. So unless you're tracking that, and, and aggregating all of those what seem like one-off complaints, um, you would never really pick up that there is a bigger problem. So we have that stoplight report set up in a way that we're taking all of those data points from consumers. Mm -hmm. We bounce them against how many cups do we ship. So, so we end up with a complaint rate. Yep, we normalize mm -hmm. and we end up with a complaint rate. Mm -hmm. And... We use thresholds um, to turn a little bubble that's next to the number, green, yellow, or red. So anything with a rate under one becomes green. Anything with a rate. That? Anything with a what? A rate anything of one? Anything with a one mm -hmm. is green. Mm -hmm. 
any rate between one and five mm -hmm. is yellow. And then anything five or above is red. So it makes it very easy when you're looking at large sets of data across different complaint codes, your eyes gravitate to the red. Yeah. And if you see a lot of red over time, you know, it's been a problem that's been persisting. So, um, and when I say over time, we have it set up by complaint codes so that we're able to see where, what's specific. Is it the viscosity of the product? Is it the solids of the product? Could it be some flavor profile? In other words, it's too salty or it's too sweet. Um, so we let the data now drive where we focus our continuous improvement because it's not like we, we have a, a recall situation or a situation where we had a major misstep in manufacturing that prompted you know, a high call volume around a specific batch of soup. These are all onesie, twosie feedbacks that come over time. Right. So that really is what started it, was to, to make those little changes to big products because they have a much larger positive impact for consumers in the experience they're, they're getting with the soup when they interact with it at the dinner table. Yeah. And that's that continuous improvement um, goal yes. that I know is a big mantra for you. So that was the intent and the situations are every day and uh, could you use it for new product tracking too? Yeah, so we we use it in a monthly meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a team specific to uh, looking at the CX data that we do have um, by brands. Um, it's a continuous improvement team. We get together monthly and we review these, and we're always looking for where's the red. Yeah. You know, focus is this red just a single month? Was it a one-off where maybe there was a problem with one batch, or mm -hmm. is this red persisting over time? So we're now at the point where we start looking at the the, the yellows with the higher rates because mm -hmm. we've driven a lot of the red out of the products. Yeah. Right. So now it's that's just a continuous improvement process where, you know, you, you let the data drive you towards the most problematic pieces in the process and the formulation. So we do use it in that sense of constant mm -hmm. monitoring on a monthly basis. Got it. We definitely use it for new product launches. Mm -hmm. um, it takes time to build the data. So we have to be really careful that if we see a red blip, we can't necessarily react right away because you may not have enough distribution behind it. Right. You know, you could have the volume could be so low on it that it doesn't take many complaints to, to turn that red. So we have to be sensitive to that. But once we make a change, we, we put a line in the sand and we look at pre- reformulation or change against post-change. So we actually have a line in that stoplight report at the given month where the change was implemented in our manufacturing process so that we can look at are these reds going away, are the complaint rates in those areas where we were focusing starting to drive down and turn yellow to green. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, we had spoken before and I remember trying to visualize it and I was like sketching it out of my copybook. And then you were kind enough to send me sort of a mock-up of it. And I think if anyone's gotten this far in the podcast, let's let them know that um, if they DM me um, that we'd be happy to send them a PDF 
of a mocked up version for themselves. But um, until then, let's let's kind of break it down for the colleagues listening right now. You know, because you talked about all, you know, looking at all the reds. And so really, like, help me visualize it here, audio. What are all the data points that are on it? Is it just the rates? Is it time periods in the columns? What's in the rows? So think of just a tabular form. And across the top, we have every month. So it's monthly. Okay. Um, and we look at uh, just tracking that over time. And the rows, the very top row, is the number of cups shipped for the month. Okay. So that's simply a, a taken right out of the invoicing history, um, the number of cups. And for me, it's not, for instance, at a club store, if we have a package that's four 10-ounce cups, mm-hmm. for me, it's four cups. It's not a single cell unit. It's down because every one of those 10-ounce cups, even though it's in one cell package at a club store, every 10-ounce cup is going to deliver a unique experience to the consumer, even though they bought it as a four-pack. So it's really important. It sounds like it's, a, it's intuitive and it's a, it's, you know, people would pick up on it. But I know typically we're looking at our sales volume in what we ship and what we were shipping our club packs. I break it down deeper into how many units are actually in the club packs. So that's a, an important subtlety with your shipment data. Under shipments, we have the overall complaint rate for the product. Is this that's taking into consideration you're, everything. You're... It's all complaints against the shipment amount. And that's like the and row. Then, that's the row. That's, that's a row right below, below the shipment row. Yep. And then... Then we look at our high-level complaint categories. Um, for us, it's viscosity, solids, taste, those sorts of things, and that's just the next row. So, I, I, and then later we have the top ten specific codes. So this is all tabular; they're all rows beneath each other. But it starts at the high level with the overall. It goes to the next level in our hierarchy, looking at uh, more categorizing of complaints and then we look at the top 10 specific complaint codes below yeah. that but all rows and the columns are all months so is that the full are you tracking this for uh, the beginning of the calendar year are you on a calendar basis your fiscal year we no we're on a, a fiscal year that starts october 1st okay um so you're just in the start of uh it's next year here. Okay. We just, yeah, we just had New Year's Eve not too long ago. Yeah. Fun, <laughs> fun. So you're tracking it for like uh, that fiscal year or the past. You Correct. Know, you can, you could ch- probably change the number of months too. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And you know, we summarize in quarters also, so you can look at it in quarterly slices. Um, and we also look at uh, year over year. So yeah. we look at this year uh, yep. against prior year. I'm crushing on the scorecard. I really am. I really am. And I hope people can feel it and, um, you know, like take a look at it. Not necessarily that they have to adopt it, but take a look at it and then compare it to what they're using and see where they could maybe borrow um, and benchmark. You know, had- I think one of the real important pieces behind this is to really understand that that you have to have a cross-functional improvement team looking at that data it can't just be customer care so the the team members bring value to those conversations so that team that's using that stoplight report uh we have one of our 
uh, Chefs is on that team. We have head of QC on that team. Mm-hmm. We have the head of our uh, food safety quality assurance as part of the team. Mm-hmm. We have a sales analyst. Um, and we have a product manager on the team. So, and, and, and then myself, of course. So, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so this team of cross-functional folks, um, are they looking at it? Um, so they're on the distribution list. Are they looking at it at the same time, um, like in a Zoom meeting these days? Or um, do they look at it sort of on their own and then? No, we, we look at it together. Um, I do send out, of course, an agenda and some, um, if I pick up on anything that I really want to, you know, make notable, um, that goes out with the agenda. So we kind of focus on that. That meeting really is to look also at if we had a a reformulation, are we still uh, seeing the improvements from that? So it's, it's got pieces to that meeting. It's looking at what's been done and, and how is that going? Um, and then it's also looking at what is the next thing? You know, we're, we look to try and pick out what is that next thing that we can focus on as a team. And then we use uh, and leverage everybody in that group. Because sometimes, you know, it's it's just a, a chef making subtle changes to a recipe to change flavor, the flavor profile. Sometimes it's, it's ops and QC folks making a change in the processing of it you know, and then monitoring the processing. So that's why it's really important to make sure it's a cross-functional team. It's not just customer care. It's not just marketing and it's not just product management. You need operations, you need quality. And in our case, because we're food, we need our chefs as part of that conversation. I'm in full support of that cross-functional team. And um, I talk a little bit, if I can, just to talk a little bit about... um, the cross-functional team that we kicked off when I was at Campbell Soup um, with uh, the episode from yesterday that I recorded with Chris Graziano. So if you tune into Chris Graziano episode 20, 22, was he 22? Yeah. Um, we talk a little bit of how we approached it. Um, I think the same, it's the same intent, which is to let's get all the people who's got a stake in this product and the consumer together and go through this data that's so important um, at the same time, because um, that's just the best way to do it. So there, period. (laughs) So you had mentioned about the ranges. I think what's important is like sort of behind the scorecard and what, and what drives the, um, the stoplight colors are these ranges. And I think you had said like, Hey, if it, you didn't say, hey, but you said if the rate is a one, it's green and one to five, yellow and so on. And so how did you, can you just take us back to this? And it's kind of granular, but I think it's important. Um, how did you determine those ranges in, in the first place? And can you take us through this? Because I think that's what really informs the beauty of the scorecard. Sure. So um <laughs> It does draw upon statistical process control to some degree in the sense that, you know, you're looking at what is your distribution of those complaints under a curve. Right. And the idea is that, you know, the green, think of the green is going to be the extreme to one side and the red's the extreme to the other side. Mm-hmm. So roughly the bulk of your product will be yellow or the bulk of your issues will show up as yellow. So if you think of just a normal distribution curve, we, we looked at, you know, if we're setting thresholds, where, where do all these fall? And we, we want 
the bulk of those 80% to be yellow because they're not always going to be bad. And let's be real about it. Consumers have personal preferences and that will come through in the data. So, um, and they'll influence the data uh, to some degree. So admittedly, it, it's, even though that sounds all scientific, there's some art to it. It's not going to be perfect, but you have to, you know, go into it knowing that the idea is to, to just try and take that big rough cut at it. And then, you know, if you're seeing um, those reds show up, use some common sense. Does, does the red make sense? Does the yellow make sense? Does the green make sense? So we kind of played with the rates initially. Um, and we started this a couple of years ago with one specific product line. Um, so we, we played with those rates. We looked at normal distribution, or I should say I looked at the normal distribution <laughs> to make sure that the rates we were using were giving us something that actually seemed to make sense. Okay, perfect. Thank you for taking us through that. Appreciate it. Let, let's talk about like a live example of a topic that um, you were looking at with the scorecard. How was the scorecard used? You know, what may have been some of the wins there? What challenges came up, if any? Sure. So I think um, one of the great examples that we use even internally is we had chicken noodle soup. And I guess I should also note here, we're bubbling everything up. So we have chicken noodle soup in seven for this brand in seven different packages, right? Sure. So when I, when I talk about the stoplight report, we are actually rolling up the SKUs to a fla- like a flavor level. So when we looked at chicken noodle, we were getting a lot of complaints where people said, I don't have enough chicken, it's all noodle, it's, it's uh, all broth. We just had a lot of variability coming across in a lot of different ways. So we had a lot of red. So for us, we actually went back and completely reformulated the product. We went from a wide, flat noodle to a, a curly noodle. Um, we changed the, the chicken that was being used. Um, so it brought a little more flavor to the product um, because we work hard on clean label and, and trying to, you know, sodium is something that, that, that people that are health conscious, we don't want sodium, but we also want food to taste good. And a lot of times sodium brings that. So we, we try and balance that. And that we went to one extreme and making it too bland at the same time. So we brought a little flavor back. So when you start looking at the reformulation, um, we overhauled that chicken noodle product altogether. Um, because there were just a lot of issues all the way around with it. Um, but we really knew that intuitively until we put it into the stoplight report. And then that stoplight report was showing us exactly which specific codes were problematic. So ironically, changing simply from a flat noodle to a more curly noodle actually drastically improved the ability of us when we make this to distribute the noodles evenly throughout the batch we make these in three to four thousand pound batches yeah you probably so, up the noodles or actually i don't know the process so we don't have to get into that yeah it just it's just suspending them in the liquid a lot better than the flat noodles would stick together and stack up and kind of sink to the bottom got it so it ended up um with a better better user experience better consumer experience so just really like i said crushing on the scorecard um Let's now switch gears a little bit and just talk about some tactical things just to level set everybody on, on your organization. Um, what functions do you report to? I report to uh, the vice president of quality. 
nice. I think some of our colleagues, it, it switches around. Sometimes it's quality. Sometimes it's marketing. Um, I've reported to both in my in my my career. Um, I think they both bring something a little bit different to the table, but having the consumer at the center always. How about how many contacts of a year do you support? Uh, roughly seven thousand a year, and that's a, that's actually a great question. Uh, that's mainly the Panera brand because that eight hundred numbers on every cup. And if you think about what I said at the beginning. We're the, we're the manufacturer behind so many private labels. Right. Ownership of the issues is the private brand owner. So they're the ones that are receiving all the contacts um, with the respective contact information on their private label cups. Got it. Is your team insourced or outsourced or both? It's hybrid. It's both. So I have a couple individuals, direct reports at Blount, um, we work with Premier Response um, as a third party. They take in all inbound phone calls for us. Um, and then they also help us out evenings and weekends covering the channels that we cover during the workday. So we have web chat, SMS chat, uh, email, contact us. Um, so those things they'll pick up once we're out of the office during the work week. Got it. And now for the technology questions, which CRM system are you currently using? Well, we, Denise, migrated to Astute Agent last August. So prior to that, we were Wilkie CRS, um, and uh, we were adding the social tool on top. So I, I felt it was a good time to migrate over to the Astute bundle. Um, so we have Astute Agent. Okay. Does that have a, a tool for reporting, or do you use something different? No, I, I, it does have a tool for reporting. Um, I've never used um, my vendor's reporting tools. Even when we established our relationship with Wilkie, we have a nightly export of tables uh, into a data warehouse that I had built. Um, not, I had a, an analyst reporting to me a number of years ago, and I had him build a report for us, a data warehouse for us. So the tool, if you don't you use your vendor's reporting, you use what for reporting? We're, we're currently on SSRS reports, so that's SQL Server Reporting okay. Services. And we were Tableau up until this more recent move over to Power BI. Yeah, which I, if I understand correctly, that you just did this month. Just actually rolled it out um, this week, this past week. Um, social media technology, is that astute as well for, um, excuse me? Yes. Okay. For monitoring and then for responding, it's the same tool through astute? Correct. And, and we really are just getting into that because we're just beginning to have our own Blount branded CPG products out in the marketplace. We, where we were primarily, um, behind everybody else, like all the Panera uh, social would happen in Panera's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and they have their own team monitoring that. But now that we're moving some Blount products into that CPG space and uh, COVID actually helped us get to full distribution very quickly in the sense that grocery stores wanted prepackaged products, more of them, because they had to shut down delis and you could not have the open self-service kettles anymore. So that really helped get some of the Blount branded product to the store shelf. So 
I, I had to bring social on and we're just starting to, to bring that up because now the, um, the blunt products are out there where they hadn't been in the past. That's exciting. When you say the blunt products, are these the branded blunt? Yes. So we have a blunt yes. clam shack seafood soup line. Okay. And it, so that's lobster, bisque, noon, clam chowder, shrimp and corn chowder, as well as a gumbo. Okay. Um, and those are so nationally typically found in a lot of the, de- uh, the seafood departments and grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Blount's Family Kitchen, which are meals, comfort meals like beef stroganoff mm-hmm. in a bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, those are typically in the deli space. It's, okay, the deli, I was just going to ask if that was frozen or refrigerated. When I post this on the YouTube channel. All refrigerated, that's oh. our specialty. Refrigerator, got it, got it. Um, yeah. When I post this episode on our YouTube channel, our colleagues can see what hat you're wearing, but maybe you want to just describe it. (laughs) So locally here, I I live in Bristol, Rhode Island. Um, The company originated as a shellfishing company in Narragansett Bay, one town over here in Warren, Rhode Island, and that facility still exists today. We actually have a clam shack at that facility. Okay. you know, on that same, on the, the same property, right on the waterfront. So this is one of our blount clam shack hats. Yeah. <laughs> A little swag. I love it. It's, it spells out chowder. Chowder. It does. E-H-W-D-R, but very recognizable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we are getting towards the end of this one, Chris, and I always ask our colleagues um, do, if, do you have a volunteer group you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, yeah, I, I know like from a company standpoint, we work very hard in the Far River communities. Um, there's a group there that really, uh, it's amazing to see them do work with the Boys and Girls Clubs locally for us uh, in the Far River area. Um, they do a lot of um a lot of, especially in COVID times, uh, they were taking our soup truck. We have a food truck and they were going to law enforcement and first responder sites like fire stations and police stations and, you know, giving out soup. So that group at Blount, um, our people first group, uh, is, is where they reside. Um, do some amazing things with, with the local community, like boys and girls clubs specifically. Yeah. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to chat with me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Denise. Thanks again. If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Veneri. Thank you for your time.